Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Got each other on our side, plus all the folks at Fried the Burnout Podcast with Kate Donovan. Fried the Burnout Podcast. Fried fam. I have such a special gift for you today. And if we're being totally honest, for myself too. Today, we get to talk to Haley McGee, who is a certified coach, educator, and author who helps individuals worldwide break the people-pleasing pattern. I said people-pleasing pattern, set empowered boundaries, and master the art of speaking their truth. I have recommended Haley to you about 4,000 times, whether in podcast episodes, in the Facebook group, on office hours. She comes up constantly because the things that she shares, her Instagram is like my savior on a regular basis. The things she, she shares are so relevant and useful and nuanced. So please just open your hearts for a minute and create a little bit of space as we welcome in Haley to the show today. Welcome. Thank you. I feel like I'm like on the verge of tears. <laughs> that was really You're allowed to cry. Very kind introduction. <laughs> You're allowed Kate. to cry. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited. I am too. It's this is just one of my favorite things about having a podcast is that I can offer people a conversation that I can reach out and be like, hey, can I talk to you? And so I get to do it too. Listeners, I know at the end of the day it's for you, but sometimes it's a little bit for me. So I get really, I feel like it's a really lucky thing to have created something that's now big enough to invite people like you. So I'm I'm thrilled that you're here. Now we start every Friday episode with a little burnout journey. So I'm going to leave the stage for a moment and give you the space to share your story that led you into this people pleasing pattern breaking life. Oh my goodness. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go in the trenches. <laughs> Yeah, I got to say all this people pleasing coaching work I do definitely its origin story is in an experience of burnout. So I'll rewind the clock maybe gosh at this point it must have been like five or six years or so to really when this all came to a head. And so many people pleasers, I really played the role of caretaker, giver, therapist, sounding board in all of my relationships. That's what I'd always done. And in some ways it felt very comfortable to me because that's how I learned how to exist in the world. And I remember this time in my life so distinctly because I just felt like I was always walking around wearing this mask and everyone, they like loved my mask. My friends would always compliment me for being such a good listener. People in my community, I was involved in music at the time when I lived in Boston and I was very involved in the music scene there. And People would always just say, Haley is always smiling. She's always in such a good mood. And they loved that. Same in, in workplace and other settings. But I just remember it was like this mask was hiding this inner self that was just like curdling, withering, because I felt so unexpressed. I was holding so much space for everyone else's problems and stories and hardships and emotions. And I just felt like there was no outlet for me. No one was yeah. holding space for me. And I wasn't bringing myself to the table in any of my relationships fully. And I often say this 
in my own work is that a lot of us don't break the people-pleasing pattern by choice because we're like, I'm going to better myself today. Some people do, but a lot of us break it because we're just too darn exhausted. We're just burned out. And that was the point I reached where I went through a really horrible breakup. All my efforts to perfectly hold space for my partner didn't yield the lifelong love I wanted. I was beginning to have some frustrations in my family. My friendships felt one-sided. And I just had this crumbling moment where I re reached my edge. And I realized that, God, I'd been so busy seeking meaning and value and approval from other people on the outside, but it didn't, it frankly just wasn't working. Like it was almost like I was trying to fill up my cup with other people's stuff, but the moment it hit the bottom of the cup, it just disappeared. I was not being filled up at all. And eventually I was just like, wow, this is not something I can outsource to other people anymore. I need to find a way to care enough about myself to prioritize my own needs and take up space in my relationships and treat myself like I matter. Yeah. Because I hadn't. Yeah. And that low point really was brutal, but it kickstarted the journey of where I ended up now. So I guess I can't complain. <laughs> no, I, there's a previous guest, Sally Clark, who I adore said during her episode that she wanted to talk about post burnout growth and how much better life can be after burnout. If you let it, if you allow it to go there. And I just ever since then have been thinking about it that way. My life is way better after burnout, That that's really important. I have a I question. I love that. For you. You said no one was holding space for me. And you said I wasn't bringing myself to the table. So my personal story is that no one was holding space for me. And also even people that offered weren't given the opportunity. Yep. Isn't that interesting? It's Was like that, that true for you too? Yes. Yeah. And I feel like this is, I'm so passionate about bringing threads of like responsibility into the conversation yeah. about people pleasing. Yeah. I actually think it's very empowering if we can recognize the part we play in these dissatisfying dynamics. Because if we play a part, we can change the part we play. Yeah. And for me, the part I played was some people weren't holding space for me because they didn't want to or didn't care. Sure. There were some people, like you just said, who wished to, but I didn't feel confident enough in myself or trusting enough to express myself to them, even though they would have been receptive. Like somewhere along the way, for me, one of the big negative stories I learned was like, oh, you're not interesting. Like you're not, you don't have a good story. You're not interesting enough. Like people don't really want to hear that. Just listen to them. So I would never offer myself and it impeded intimacy. That could have really been good. I offered a lot of prepackaged stories. I would offer things. But I would offer things that I didn't want feedback on, didn't want opinions on, didn't really want to hash out or talk about, lessons that I had already learned, wrapped up in a nice tidy bow, already oh said. Yes. How safe. How safe. There's such a safety in that. I'm, and you can you know how the reactions are gonna go. You have yes. data, you're like, this will present me as this particular thing. And mm. it is vulnerability because you appear vulnerable because you're sharing some really scary stuff sometimes, but it's not vulnerable at all because you've already packaged it. That's so interesting. It's like there's very little risk involved and true intimacy is all about risk. taking the risk and letting yourself really be seen in the mess. Yes. And I never let anybody see anything but the packaged version. And now as someone who lives in the public eye, 
my job is to give you sometimes the packaged version because you need to know what the steps are to get away from where you are. I can't come in here full wound and dump it on the podcast. That's not really useful, which means that I have to double down on leaning into my people in my private community. Sounds a little bit like boundaries. Sounds a little <laughs> bit like boundaries, doesn't it? And it's that's deeply relatable too. I feel very much the same because like with a big online following, it's like, I do want to teach and help people see what's possible. But then, yeah, for those more vulnerable moments, that's a boundary I also have, which is I'm going to lean closely on people in my personal life and maybe not share things when they're at their rawest. Because ultimately, I think that does me a disservice. It's not, I'm not ready all the yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so that's an interesting part of this. But I shared so much with you. No, you didn't. No, you didn't actually show up to this relationship. You did not put your full self on a plate. And a lot of us, a lot of the the people pleasers among us, I, I feel like we think that putting our full self on the plate means martyrdom. Mm. means self-sacrifice, right? It's just, hey, I will show up and be the plate for you. How about that? You don't even need a plate. I'll be the plate. <laughs> right? God, it's so true. And all of that kind of stems. And at least when you're doing that, your identity lies in your, I can be of value to you as if our value as people, our value in relationships lives from the giving or the servicing or the caretaking. When in fact, on this other side, I think of the people I value most in my life. And it's not because of what they give or how they serve me, but rather the unique color and vibrancy, the, the self they bring to our interactions. What a turning point that was when I realized, oh, people are going to appreciate and approve of me just because of who I am as a person. Yeah. Light bulbs everywhere. Yeah. I didn't believe it though. Yeah. It's a, I think it takes a while for that yeah. to really stick. <laughs> and be like doing what I do now. So if I'm not podcasting, I'm speaking or coaching and speaking is my absolute favorite thing to do. And now I'm in, sometimes I'm in a room with three, 400 people, a thousand people like this is, and I love it. And in the beginning, I tried to be too professional. I'm not like a professional person. There was somebody on the podcast or, or I was on her podcast recently and it's called The Elegant Warrior. And she said, what does elegance mean to you? And I was like, well, I don't consider myself an elegant person. <laughs> you know, like, I'm just, I'm not designed that way. I didn't grow up that way. Like the first thing that you said about me would never be like, she's super high class. Like, that's not going to be the thing that comes out of your mouth. I'm on, I'm in your boat. Yep. So this is total, and that's totally fine by me. But what I was, when I first started speaking, I dressed myself up in what I thought people expected of me, especially going into corporate environments when I'm not a corporate worker, I don't have corporate experience. So I was like, wearing uncomfortable shoes and doing just doing ridiculous things. Now I wear silver Nike Air Maxes on stage. Oh, <laughs> like, get it. Yeah. yeah. Whatever. If you don't like if you don't like me because of that's probably I probably don't like you either. And that's fine. One thing that I want to dig into. This is something that was pulled out of my book as a quote by the editor and something that I see in your work a lot. So there's a, a big bridge here that we're both standing on. And as a people pleaser, you tend to believe that you're really helpful, but your help is not always helpful or welcome or wanted. How can we 
figure out the balance between still wanting to be of service and not crossing the line into people pleasing? Like, how do we find this space where we don't get too selfish? Because I think that's what people are afraid of a lot. Mm. Is that too big a question? No, I don't think so. Let's see. I'll give it my best shot and you can tell me if my answer is off. But I think that's really interesting because I think there is this kind of illusion of, oh, I'm just a people pleaser. I really want to help people. I really Mm -hmm. want to be kind. And I understand where that comes from. But I also think ultimately people pleasing is about us. We're helping. Perhaps it's in part to do something kind for someone else. But even more, it's because we get a sense of value and worth out of it. And we want to be perceived positively by that person. And it really is a fine line. I, For me, one of the biggest differences when our kindness veers into people-pleasing is to what extent is this causing me harm? Because a lot of us will give past our natural limits until we're chronically burnt out or fatigued or exhausted, or I know this comes up for you, resentful, right? And that's such an interesting sign. It's true giving, true help actually doesn't spark those feelings for us because it's coming from a place of genuine desire. Um, Once we start trespassing our own boundaries to give to others, there's something more insidious going on. And to your point, oftentimes our people-pleasing efforts don't actually help unsolicited help or help that imposes our agenda upon a person who doesn't want the same thing isn't really help. It's imposing us on people who may not want that. Being able to distinguish those things is really important. (laughs) I'm just saying all the yeses back here. You said when kindness veers into people-pleasing, the question you have to ask yourself is, how much is this harming me? Am I really being honest about what resources I have available right now to give in this situation Or am I crossing my own boundaries to make this happen for someone because I'm afraid of the guilt, because I need the gratitude, because I, you made a post, I was talking to you about it before we came on a video that is pinned to the top of your Instagram page. And I hope it's still there. Don't, don't let it go anywhere. (laughs) That'll stay. (laughs) That'll stay. At least until this episode airs. There was a video posted and you said, this is the difference. These are the differences between people pleasing and kindness. And the first word that you use to describe people pleasing to say this is one of the things that differentiates it is that it becomes transactional. People pleasing is transactional and kindness is not. Can you talk about that a little bit deeper? Completely. That's like my favorite aspect of this. So I think when I say what transaction is basically, I'll give you something so that you give me something back. And I want to clarify that it doesn't always sound, it, it isn't always as bad as it sounds. It's not like I'm pleasing you so you give me a million dollars or something. Sometimes because of the origins of people pleasing, which often can stem from trauma or like adverse experiences when we were young, sometimes I'm pleasing you so that you make me feel safe. Sometimes that's the transaction. I'll be super kind to you so that you give me a sense of security and a sense of safety. But I think even still, regardless of what we're gaining from the transaction, it's still a transaction. We're doing it in order to get something back, which is different from true giving, which is coming from a simple place of desire to help someone 
And then also to feel like we have a choice. That's another aspect in the video that I think links up a lot with transaction is that when we're people pleasing, it often stems from a sense of obligation or I don't want to feel guilty for not doing this. That's not what giving's all about, right? It's giving isn't about I want to avoid hard emotions. Like all of a sudden that gets really messy and complicated. So in order for it to be true, just genuine giving, we need to feel like we have a choice to say yes or no. And we're choosing out of goodwill and desire to say yes. And when you do that, avoid guilt thing. I'm writing it down so I don't forget. When you choose the, I'm going to avoid guilt, what you end up getting is resentment. hundred, because it's not genuine desire. Right? And then you're but, mad. Yeah. And because... then you're mad. And you feel taken advantage of. Yes, you feel taken advantage of, but you gave. You're mad because you maybe felt, I think this is something that we could dig into that you'll enjoy. One of the things I tell people or tell listeners a lot on Fridays, we don't believe in hinting around here. Hinting does not work. But when you are a people pleaser who came to people pleasing through some sort of trauma, and so you created a hypervigilance to your environment in order to try and meet other people's needs, mostly the adults in your life, so that you would be safe, cared for, et cetera, whatever the transaction was. And you did it successfully for a very long time. You stay in that hypervigilant mode in most places. So you tend to be able to read people's needs sometimes correctly before they mention them. And you pick up on hints really well. Yes. You get mad because you're picking up on hints and then you're dropping hints and nobody's picking up on your hints. That's right. Because you're sitting there thinking, look at all this time and energy and intention and proactivity I put into anticipating other people's needs and feelings. Why? That's what real care looks like. How come they don't care about me? How come they don't love me? But it, and then it's exactly. And then we need to pause and recognize that that sort of trauma-based hypervigilance is not necessarily an expectation we should be having of other people right? That's not a universal thing. And frankly, if you haven't been through, ideally, a lot of people don't have that because it's very fatiguing and exhausting to feel that way. But yes, completely. Fear of losing people is not love. Mm -mm. Nope. That's so well said. And I think that's, I think that is the basis of so many of our actions as people pleasers. If I'm not everything for them, might I lose them? What I find so interesting about this, this act of being in relationship in ways where you're constantly in service and you're constantly minimizing your voice and you're constantly doing all these things is that when we play small like that, what we don't realize is that playing small attracts the wrong relationships. Mm. Like That will bring people into your life, actually. You can guarantee it. You don't express your needs. You mirror back everyone else's feelings. You play small. Guaranteed that will give you re the relationships give you relationships, but they'll be the wrong relationships, right? They'll be with people who, at least in some way, want you to have very little voice or want you to not to take up space. And I think- Not maliciously. Not even maliciously necessarily, right? Sometimes there's always that, there's always that person that is malicious. But I find that one of the things that I love about your work that bothers me about other people's work when it comes to boundaries is this point exactly that we're talking about now, is that most other people are saying, and then I put up boundaries and everybody got angry because they loved me that way. And that, 
of course, yes, they did get something out of the relationship that way, but you gave them something to work with that they liked, and now you're mad at them for liking it. It's okay for people to be a little bit upset about the fact that you're changing the rules of Monopoly halfway through the game. Yeah, (laughs) it's so true, right? What could be more natural? It's like this way you've been interacting for six months, two years, 20 years, all of a sudden it's changing. That's an adjustment. I it, it reminds me of that quote that always really bothers me. It's the only people who get upset when you set boundaries are those who benefited from you having none. Exactly. Which makes, I hate this. You know, I hate that quote too. It's it's such a binary way of looking at it because it makes people who get upset with your boundaries sound like these evil, yes, sadistic, toxic, yes. air quotes yes. heavy on the toxic people. And it's no, actually, if my bestie, who I see two to three times a week, all of a sudden one day decides, hey, Haley, I can only see you once every three weeks. I'm going to be upset about that. That doesn't make me toxic or bad. It just means, hey, you changed the rules of Monopoly after I got really used to them. And I'm yeah. sad. And it's uncomfortable. And I don't understand why. And I'm starting to wonder if you like me. And that makes me uncomfortable. Did I do something? Did I not do something? Yeah. So I just, I love that about your work because there's never that sense of like, when you put up boundaries, you'll figure out who your real friends are. (laughs) Like That's not really how you didn't give, if you don't give people the opportunity to show up for you for 20 years in your life, and then all of a sudden you're like, no one showed up for me. They didn't know how because they're freaked out because they don't know how you're acting and they don't know what to do with any of this. They thought your people pleasing was your personality. They thought this was this was Haley. Oh, wait, you're actually not. And I also think what's harmful about this idea is that it puts an unrealistic expectation on intimate relationships. There's this idea in boundaries, social media culture. I don't even know what to call it. That's good. I like it. (laughs) Whatever. That's basically everyone should be perfectly happy and stoked on whatever boundary you set whenever you set it all the time, if they really care about you. No. It's absurd. It's actually so unrealistic. And I think when we learn those lessons, we then seek out relationships that are just never have a moment of disagreement or mismatch or or misalignment. And then it teaches us to think that conflict or disagreement is bad or unhealthy, when in fact it is literally inevitable in any relationship where two people are committed to bringing themselves authentically to each other. It's too puzzle. Like it's never going to be a perfect fit, right? One of the things that you said that you explained ages ago that I use a lot, a lot, I always give you credit, but I use it a lot is the difference between making a request and stating a boundary. Can you dig into everybody, dig into Uh, that for everybody, please? Yeah, this, for me, this is the most important distinguishing factor in this whole world of work. I'm so excited you asked about it. So basically requests and boundaries are different. When we make a request of someone, we are asking them to in some way change their behavior. Requests are about asking other people to change. It could mean asking them to give you more affection or respect. It could be asking them to do less of something. Please stop yelling at me or please don't leave your dishes in the sink, whatever. Requests are a great first step, especially in our intimate relationships, when we want to communicate our needs and see if someone else will meet them. We're giving them the chance to know what we need and the chance to show up for us how we need. So I often say requests are your first line of action. Then boundaries are what we will or will not tolerate. 
So it's a stated limit or it limits our limits others people's access to us. So a request would be, could you please stop yelling at me? A boundary would say, I'm going to leave this conversation when you yell at me. And then boundaries always need to be followed up by action because if we don't enact them, they don't mean anything. So a boundary can also look like removing ourselves from interactions that we've decided are not healthy. And the the reason that that, dis that distinction is so very important is that a lot of us make requests and ask people to change thinking that we're setting boundaries, which leaves us feeling very powerless because we often ask people to change over and they don't. And we feel like, what is what can I do now? And the answer is we can set a boundary deciding to what extent we will engage with them, which is what boundaries are all about. Pride fam, I tell you in nearly every episode that step one of your burnout recovery is blood work. And I know that a lot of you avoid it because it's a pain and because your doctor has told you that everything is quote unquote fine. And they refuse to test all the things that you think you need. What if I told you that you could test what you want, when you want, from your home with just a couple of drops of blood? Cyfox Health allows you to do just that. You can buy tests as one-offs or join a membership. Either way, you can test and track your results to help you make decisions about your burnout recovery journey. Get 10% off any membership, subscription, or one-time test kit right now. Go to cyfoxhealth.com forward slash fried for your discount. That's S-I-P-H-O-X health.com forward slash fried. This differentiation, when I read it in your work, hit me so hard right away. It wasn't something that I had thought of in that way before, but it became very clear right away. And I tell this story a lot because it's a good boundary story and because my favorite part of boundaries is internal boundaries. That's the thing that I teach the most. I, I didn't know other people were teaching it until I found your stuff. Everybody's talking about this external world. And I'm like, why don't you just learn how to hold your own energy and protect your own peace and time before we start doing all the other stuff? So when I found you, I, there was like that, that kindred spirit moment. But I bought something online a while ago, a few years ago. It was a downloadable template, a sales page. I think I told the story last time I had a guest on the podcast, like two weeks ago. So this is funny. It must be a really good one. I yeah, it. it just it's just it's so like in your face. I downloaded the template. I had a question about it. I wrote to the company Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern time. They wrote me back Friday, 515 p.m. Eastern time. I wasn't expecting it to be that fast, but I was grateful. So I wrote back. Thank you. Then came the automatic responder. And their automatic responder was so passive aggressive that I was like, I will never work with you people again. It said, we are so committed to our customers and we're really obsessed with our businesses. And it's really hard for us to peel ourselves away from our phones when our clients need us. But we also have families that we love. So if you could really manage to email us between nine and five Eastern Standard Time, that would make things much easier. And I'm thinking to myself, first of all, you just emailed me back at 515. Second of all, 
somebody in Thailand that just downloaded your template is not does not know what time they can look it up clearly, but they're not thinking about what time it is in whatever time zone you are. They don't even know where you are because this is an online business available mm. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I remember reading that and just when I read your request versus boundaries, I was like, this is where all of this picks apart. It is not my job to make sure that you don't pick up your phone and read your emails after 5 p.m. or 6 p.m., whatever the hell hour it was. That's okay. not my job. If you don't want to read your emails after 5, don't pick up your phone. They were making, so in, in this example, they're like making a request of all yeah. of these customers. It's really interesting, right? Because it's, okay, please don't email us because we don't want you to feel like we're neglect. Instead of just being like, these are our limits. Yeah. We just don't do that. We don't check. And letting you hold that. Yeah. How much easier would it have been for them to say, hi, thanks, have an automatic responder on all the time or in their hours that they're off, I don't care, that just says, hey, we'll get back to you within 72 business hours, Monday through Friday, nine to five East Coast, USA. Done. So much simpler. So much simpler and doesn't put any sort of emotional burden on me to manage your life. That's See, that's really what it is. And actually with the internal boundaries, I'm curious how you think of it, Kate, because the way I've always thought of it for myself, and maybe we're on the same page, is like internal boundaries are promises you make to yourself about what you will or will not do. Is that kind yes. of where you're at as well? Yes. Internal boundaries for me are about the things that you set up in your life that help you protect your time, energy, peace, and money. Word. I love those factors. Time, right. energy, peace, and money. Time, yep. energy, peace, and money. If it's going to cross over your comfortable factor in any of those places, you have to make a decision. And if you don't hold that boundary, you have to deal with the consequence. That's right. And internal boundaries are so underrepresented. Like you yes. said, we're constantly talking about setting boundaries with other people. With scripts for the outside. Scripts for the outside, which don't land <laughs> with the yeah. inside. It, their internal boundaries are so necessary for people like people pleasers whose overgiving is the problem. And when we overgive, there's no one else to blame. I think that's, and I, even the word blame is a little loaded, but yeah. we are responsible for how much we give. If we're constantly overgiving, we often think to ourselves, oh, Jane is really taking advantage of me because I give and give and she doesn't such and such, right? She doesn't appreciate it. She doesn't offer the same amount. In that equation, the problem is not Jane. The problem is that we are trespassing our own limits to give more than we should. And so what we need is an internal boundary. Yes. And sometimes we need a conversation with Jane to yes. explain a change in the Monopoly game. Exactly. Hey, just FYI. And I always, I think people are always asking, should I communicate this boundary? Should I just set it? And my thought is always, especially in a relationship where there's some degree of intimacy, it can just help to acknowledge the shift. Hey, Jane, I know in the past I've been really available for this, but I'm trying to take better care of myself now. So I can't do whatever. It's it's just so easy. Just acknowledge it. It really helps. Yeah. And we did talk recently on the podcast about using ChatGPT as like a burnout resource sometimes, oh. like when you can't get through a conversation or you can't get through an email or you need to have clearer notes on something or whatever it happens to be. This is one of those moments where you can use ChatGPT and you can go in and say, I'm not sure how to tell so-and-so that I'm not going to do this anymore. Can Wait, you create a up. response that is kind and compassionate without being 
manipulative or something like that. And ChatGPT will create some sort of script for you. It might not be a perfect script. You still have to make it your own, but it will help you create some sort of way to show up that is based in fairness and kindness and appreciation and love. And because I don't, what I dislike about Boundary World, first of all, the one thing that makes me angry every time I read it is no is a complete sentence. <laughs> I guess that's factual. Sure. And yet, is it relational? <laughs> no. Is it good for your social interactions? Probably not. Probably yeah. not. How, when you, to me, part of sharing bits of yourself, which I've, I already admitted is not easy for me and I still have to work on, but part of that is giving people enough access to your world so that they can grant you some grace, which doesn't mean everyone deserves your full story. But it does mean that if you are asking people to grant you grace and all you say is no, they've got nothing to give you grace over. You haven't given them the information that they need to elicit that. You're not guaranteed it even if you give it. To be fair, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but no, yeah, sure. It's a complete sentence. And sometimes it is the absolute right thing. There are situations where it's perfect. Yeah. Most of the time we are social creatures and we need a little bit more than that. I think this is so important. I love what you're saying. And it brings to mind something I've been thinking about so mm. much recently, which is that there is a marked difference between how we ought to set boundaries in our healthy or like intimate connections versus unhealthy connections where there's a lot of manipulation. Yes. And I feel like in <laughs> social media boundaries culture skews without saying so it skews heavy on the this is how you should set boundaries if you've been in a toxic situation if someone is manipulative but a lot of those same pieces of advice really don't apply well to healthy relationships like what you just said, no is a complete sentence. Oh, I never and thought about that differentiation, but that hits home. It matters so much. Like I think some yeah. of the, I just made a thing about this. I think one of the biggest, there's two or three ways it matters. Like one is how much explanation you give for your boundary. With a healthy relationship, you probably want to give more so people can understand what the heck is going on. Did yes. I do something wrong? Why is this? But in an unhealthy relationship where you've probably trying to been advocate for yourself and they always react with rage or anger or manipulation, no explanation needed. No is a complete sentence. Yes. Amen. And then a couple other things like that, like whether or not you can be flexible with your boundary. In a healthy relationship, often if you want it to be successful, it actually requires some degree of fluidity. In a toxic relationship, your first goal is to protect yourself and that is a rigid boundary. So yeah. all the, they're so different, but we don't talk about that a lot. Yeah, this is why I love the things that you do because these exactly these moments of nuance are the things that I think have people questioning whether or not they, oh, I'm just bad at boundaries. No, you just don't have enough of this nuanced information to help you realize that you're actually okay. One of the things I have a, a, a boundary talk that I give in corporate and it's the title of it is boundaries make you more generous because one of the questions I use with clients is to when they're answering yes or no to an ask is to, to about the internal boundaries is this is going to interfere with my generosity. I love 
that. So we dig into that a bunch, but I start this keynote most frequently by asking somebody to come up on the stage. I have a tape measure. It must be in my backpack. It's usually in my desk drawer. I have a tape measure that used to be my grandmother's and I walk up to them and get like uncomfortably close. This is a physical boundary, but it's a good, it's still a good representation. I get, I like walk into the, and I can see it happening. I'm an acupuncturist. I've been studying energy for 20 years. You can see the shoulder hike, the chest drop, the like, lady, what are you doing? And then I ask them to step away from me until they're in a place where they're actually comfortable. Usually they don't step far enough away. And I say, do you need one more step? Because we're people pleasers, right? I don't want you to think that I need to be so far away from you. Yep. Then they take another step and I measure the distance between us. And then I ask them to bring a friend up on stage with them. And I say, walk up to your friend and find a space that's reasonable, that feels comfortable for you both. And then we measure that space. Undoubtedly, the space that's between myself and this person who has never met me and doesn't know anything about me, I haven't even started my keynote yet. (laughs) I love that this comes before the talk. That's before is almost double or more the distance that they choose between them and a friend. And this is boundaries are different for different people in different scenarios. If you're tired, if you're hungry, if your kid puked on your shoes this morning, if you're having a fight with your partner, if there's so many reasons that your boundaries will shift I think it's it's so true. Context is everything. In boundary world, context is everything. I have yet to find a single truism about boundaries that can be applied in every case. Because I wow. think I'll have to think on it. Maybe it won't exist, but for the most part, like you're saying, it depends on so many things in your own world and in your relational world with this person. And in the bigger external world. Because say we're right. on a day where some massive catastrophe happens. Typically, when people are in helping mode and trying to fix things, boundaries open up a little bit. That's right. That's right. And it's coming from that genuine desire place we talked about earlier, as opposed to the compulsion or obligation place. How do you know if you're in that genuine desire place? I think one of the first, I don't know if this really answers that, but it's, again, it's, am I harming myself? I don't feel... Like I'm harming me when I'm genuinely desiring to give someone something. It feels different. There's an outward energy. There's like a, there's a desire that's not fear-based. It's, I want to improve your life. This could be so exciting. Wow. I love how connected I feel to you when this is happening. What's really interesting is that when we're people pleasing, we often end up feeling more disconnected from the person we're supposedly helping air quotes Mm -hmm. because we resent them. Because we're giving out of a place of obligation and trespassing our own boundaries to do, which is why I love the idea of your talk. Boundaries make us more generous. I think they that's just true. Do I think this might be a truism? This I think this really is actually. I off, I remember this. We are really aligned in what we do. I'm. I that totally blows my mind. I remember a year or two ago, I released a blog titled "Boundaries Taught Me the Joy of Giving." Yes, yeah. really. And it's yeah. so it's so counterintuitive, but when you can honor your limits, you can give more freely within them. And it's a pure, undiluted giving that's not marred by resentment. It's just pure. And it's giving 
in the way that feels good to you. It's not giving in every single way because there are certain ways. Listener, I want you to tune into this for a second. There are certain ways you give that you just like better. My mother hates cooking. She does not like to feed people. That's not a way she likes to give. Maybe you are someone who loves cooking for people and loves sharing food. To me, when your boundaries are off, it interferes with your ability to give generously in the way that you most love to give generously. Mm. I love that. It's like applying almost like a love language framework to this conversation. Because it's true. There are certain ways it's so effortless for me to give and be attentive. For me, a lot of it shows up in real time, like interactions with people. I can be and it doesn't feel forced at all. I'm just, I'm curious about them. I want to know about their inner world. I'm attentive. I'm present. That's one way that feels very natural for me to give. And it causes me no stress. Yeah, but Other don't ways, text me in the middle of the day. Exactly. <laughs> or expect a 24-hour delay. I need an autoresponder for my text because I'm like, God, it's just, it stresses me out. It's not natural. Yes. Same. Yeah. Isn't it wild? I love the context. I love this conversation because I think it's creating like a whole rainbow of possibilities around boundaries where so often online it's presented in black and white, which it just isn't. So what I want you guys to think about out there in fried land is that if your boundary setting skills haven't improved much because you've been unsure of where they should be, what should be happening, what's going on, et cetera, Allow space for the answers to be different in different situations with different people in different relationships, and that might make it a little bit easier. You are not going to be able to create a manual of me that says these are the boundaries, these are the rules, as long as everybody follows them, everything is great, because they will change. They're different for different people. Maybe it needs to be like a Harry Potter boundaries book. That like you flips magically to the set of boundaries that works for this situation. <laughs> oh my God, if only, or if there were like a calculator where you could plug in all the details and it would spit out the answer. Yes. God, if only something I like, and as your listeners are contemplating that one sort of thought or like word of advice on this is we talked earlier about in healthier relationships, it's okay for boundaries to maybe be a little more fluid in more toxic or difficult ones. Not so much. If you're trying to decide which way to veer in a certain boundary situation, it has really helped me to ask myself the question, most of the time in this relationship, do they have my best interests at heart? Most of the time in this relationship, do I feel that they're meeting my needs and respecting me? Because it's never going to be perfect. No. Right? And if the answers to those questions are yes, maybe that's a sign that there's a little more space for flexibility or compromise. If the answers are no, that's also a very powerful signal that perhaps more firm boundaries are required. And this goes for the question that we often ask around here. Should I quit or should I grit? Do I stay at my job? Do I not stay at my job? This is a good set of questions to ask to judge whether or not the situation you're in is tenable or not. Do they have my best interests at heart? I, and people will say, I just heard about 4,000 of you say, no job has your best interest at heart. And I'm here to put a squash to that thought. 
because I have experienced through family members and through myself workplace situations where people's backs were held, where people got the support they needed. Am I saying it's the most common? No. But if you can clearly answer the question that most of the time they do not have my back, most of the time they do not have my best interests at heart, that is a really clear indication that stay while you need the money, but put your LinkedIn on open to work. Word. So here for that. I love extrapolating this to workplace talks because I think there are so many through lines that apply there as well. A million. A million. The best teams have an ability to move their boundaries around various situations, various team members, various strengths and weaknesses. They move together and it happens because of good boundaries. Or it happens because of good boundaries in one super mega people pleaser who's like making it all work, who then burns (laughs) out and leaves and is replaced by two other people because they were doing way more work than they needed to do. Oh my God. This must be so common. It's so common. If you are the people pleaser that is holding your team together, let me tell you something right now. You're not doing anybody any favors because at some point you're not going to be able to take it anymore. You are going to bounce on them because you will have no choice. That is not a judgment. You will have to go to save yourself and then they will be scrambling because they don't know how to function without you. A team should be able to lose a member to vacation for two weeks and still function just fine. Yes. It's more sustainable. It's better for everyone knows what's going on then. Yep. Yeah. This overlaps completely again. to It's a two-way street with relationships too, right? In relationships, we'll use the language over-functioner, under-functioner yeah. to describe a relational dynamic. If you're constantly over-functioning and putting in 90% of the labor required to keep that connection alive and healthy, that's not doing anyone any favors. And it's enabling the under-functioners under-functioning. And I think this is a huge aspect of coming to terms with our people-pleasing and recognizing the role of our responsibility is that when we overgive, whether it's at work or in a relationship or elsewhere, we enable those around us to continue under giving and underperforming. And undergrowing. And undergrowing. You That's can't completely right. expand and grow and learn when people are doing shit for you all the time. Yep. And when you also can't expand and grow and learn when you're not sometimes having to sit with discomfort which sparks us to grow. It's okay if you stop over-functioning and someone else is a little uncomfortable. That's going to be growth for them, right? Apparently, Pride fam, Haley and I could do this all day and probably (laughs) would like to, but we're going to wrap up. Haley, do you still have the boundaries course? Is that still active? All right, can you tell people about that? Because that's something that... I created one at some point, And then when I saw your, yours, I honestly shut mine down and send people to you because yours was better. <laughs> okay. Oh my God. All right. I'm going to get you so, back in a different way. <laughs> that's fine. That's, what, that's not important. The important thing was you have something that I honestly and truly believe can help a lot of people in my community. So I want them to have access to it. I don't need to create something different. I need them to get the thing that's already working. So can you tell them what that thing is? Thank you. So every quarter, so every season, I host the Say No Club, 
which is my flagship six-week group coaching program that walks you through how to basically mastering the art of setting boundaries from start to finish. And it's great. It's a closed program, 25 members only, six weeks long. And what I love about it is because it's a small group and because it's live over six weeks, we get to dive deep into nuance and complexity and really make sure we're talking about boundaries in a real way, not just the whole post on social media way. It's my favorite program I run. It is so fun. It's so cool. It's so great. If this releases mid to late October, the next one begins in January. That's right. Yep. All right. We'll be enrolling for winter. Awesome. So that means fried fam. You can go to Haley's Instagram at Haley page McGee. um, That's the Instagram handle. It'll be obviously in the show notes or to her website at HaleyMcGee.com. And all of that information will be, I'm sure, findable. Totally. And if Uh, you can't find it, tell me and I'll send it to you because the shit matters. Haley, thank you so much for everything that you do, for everything that you've learned, for the things that you have packaged into beautiful little packages so that the rest of us can get a handle on this. I'm so grateful for you. And I'm so glad that you took the time to be with us today. Thanks so much. I'm so grateful too. I listened to your podcast when I was burned out and needed it. So this is a two-way street. Thank you so much, Kate. Fried fam, that's what it's all about. When you show up in the way that you know is best for you, you create mutual appreciation societies. You've got to do you and you have to be you. And you have to serve and be in the ways that you want to serve and be and not give in the ways that you don't want to give. Because sometimes you're going to have to every once in a while, there's going to be a situation where you have to give in a way that you don't want to give because life's. But I want you to have enough energy to be able to do that. Getting your boundaries in place is what allows you to have enough energy left over for that barrier, for that boundary, for that space, for that fluidity. All right. I can't wait to hear in the Facebook group what you thought about this week's episode. I'll see you in there. Until next time. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Got each other on our side. Plus all the folks at Fried the Burnout Podcast with Kate Donovan.